Hello, hello, everyone. This is Heather. This is Kara. And you're listening to I'm Not Complaining. Just asking. It's our podcast. Uh, We have a very special podcast today. We, uh, while looking on the Discovery Grid on Instagram, we became aware that not only is the holiday season upon us, but also it's a very special year this year because it is the 30th anniversary of the film Home Alone. You're really making me feel old, Heather. (laughs) Home Alone came out 30 years ago. It did. That means that Home Alone came out in 1990. And you know, what's so funny is when I hear the date 1990, I feel like it was 10 years ago. I think think most people who were born in the (laughs) 80s feel that way. But we're closer, I believe, that we're closer to 2030. 30 than we are to 1990 at this point. That's not a real year. That's deep, right? <laughs> Just wait till we get to 2050. That's oh. that's really not a real year. That's like Buck Rogers status. That's past Blade of the Year. The sequel of the Blade Runner is supposed to be taking place. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, so we thought, what a great time to go back and look at the original Home Alone, which was written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, What a dynamic duo. They are incredible people in the film industry. John Hughes, of course, uh, at the time of this film, he had written 16 movies and directed nine. Everyone who knows about the 1980s knows about John Hughes. He's a massive figure in cinema. Uh, He wrote Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Weird Science, Career Opportunities, National Lampoon's Vacation, European Vacation, (laughs) National Lampoon's Christmas. Even where the Griswolds are, he wrote Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Mr. Mom, and the and the one that was directly responsible for the movie we're going to watch today, the film Uncle Buck, which is where John Hughes first met Macaulay Culkin, who his impish and childlike innocence inspired him to write this film. I think it's also important to give some credit to Chris Columbus, who wrote... The Gremlins and the Goonies. Yes. No, he's he's incredible and he's an incredible director. A lot of people who worked with Chris Columbus and uh, he himself says that he is like Mr. Christmas. He loves Christmas. It's his favorite holiday. So when he was approached by John Hughes to make this film... He was super excited because the previous film, which was about Christmas, he was supposed to be filming with John Hughes, was actually Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Yes, and so the the behind-the-scenes on that is that Chris Columbus was relatively young. He had only directed two other movies previously, um, and that was... Adventures in Babysitting, which is still a cult classic, and he directed another movie, um, something something about Elvis, Elvis and uh, it, it was trying to be a biopic. I believe it was called Heartbreak Hotel. 
Um, I have never seen it, but apparently it was not well received. And um, John Hughes approached, uh, well, he wrote <clears throat> Christmas Vacation, of course, with Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, the whole Grimswald gang. He asked Chris Columbus to direct the film. And while they were in the process of pre-production and uh, very early in filming, uh, the star Chevy Chase and Chris Columbus did not get along very well. Um, there's many reasons you can speculate why. To me, it sounded like Chevy Chase was a fairly seasoned actor and he was a big name and he took issue with being paired with a director that was so quote-unquote green, uh, new to the biz in the sense of directing, and felt that he deserved to have a director that was more seasoned. Um, I can understand where he's coming from, especially if this is the third <laughs> film what I'm in saying. the Griswold yeah. franchise. I can understand where he's coming from. I perhaps he could have handled it better in the way he made his feelings known. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, obviously, the film went on to be an enormous hit and everyone was happy after Chris Columbus stepped down. But because of that, John Hughes showed Chris Columbus the script for Home Alone. Which which John Hughes allegedly wrote over a weekend. Well, John Hughes was known for being absolutely prolific. He would write, he, he had a schedule of writing Thursdays through Sundays were dedicated to purely writing. And he would just hammer things out. So initially, when Home Alone got shopped around and pitched they landed on warner brothers doorstep and they said okay we're gonna the budget is 10 million dollars originally um and warner brothers was like that's great and john hughes who predominantly only shoots films in chicago yes so in chicago john hughes has set up shop in a abandoned no longer used high school it's a massive campus right and so the the high school is just outside of chicago and that's also where he filmed all of his brat pat high school high drama. school dramas uh ferris bueller's day off pretty in pink 16 candles the breakfast club um all of those were filmed at that high school. So it already had all of the offices. It had a gym. It had the pool. It had a, the, the track. Everything that they needed. So they actually built the sounds. Used their gym as a soundstage. And actually built the house inside the gym. Yes, correct. And I, uh, for those of you who may, may not know, I went to film school uh, my my goal was to work in the film and movie industry. And so I worked in it for a little while. And I still, these kinds of things absolutely fascinate me because because you in the film, obviously, the exterior of the house is a predominant feature in this film. 
when we go inside the interior of the house, I feel like there's no, it's not shocking when we go inside the house, like, oh, we're in a set. It, everything in this house is so obviously fake. I feel like this house is so genuine and authentic. You believe, of course, this family lives here. This is a living, breathing entity. This is where people would spend their lives. And when you see the behind the scenes features where they are literally building the skeleton and interior of a home on a gymnasium floor. With it's, the scaffolding and the rigging in the rafters of the gym. It's mind-blowing to me. The, the set design of the interior of this house is so incredible to me. Um, I love the way they decorated it. It's just, I, I love it. Well, the thing is, is that, again, in the behind the scenes, they talk about how everywhere that you look, because this family obviously loves Christmas and the holidays, everything is so saturated in holiday colors. The, the walls are green. The wallpaper is green and red. There's little reindeers. There's lights everywhere. There's tinsel. There's multiple Christmas trees throughout the house. Um, I believe the only thing that is not red or green or white or holiday colors is the blue tile that is on the kitchen island in the kitchen. Wow. So because they had to build a house, even though it was on the this campus of this abandoned high school, the budget went up to uh, $14.7 million. Sure, I'll bet, because they literally built a house. I mean, obviously there's no roof on it, but still, no aluminum siding, but still, I mean... Good Lord. They also had to build the secondary house where the wet bandits flood the house. They actually had to build a secondary house set in the pool. Yeah, the basement. Because they had to flood the the house. Um, So because they were so over budget, Warner Brothers actually shut them down. And John Hughes, who was very good friends with Uh, executive producers at 20th Century Fox, um, they read the script and thought that they go, this is one of the greatest Christmas movies or potentially could be one of the greatest family Christmas movies uh, of the 90s. We can make it for 15, 100%. Go ahead. So 20th Century Fox ends up picking it up. Um, No production was stopped. From the start to finish of filming Home Alone, they started on Valentine's Day, 1990, February 14, 1990, and it was released in theaters for Thanksgiving Day weekend, 1990. So imagine getting everybody to Chicago, you've casted it, build the sets, and you start shooting, and you're done by the fall, and the Editing took exactly 10 weeks, and then it took three weeks for John Williams to score the film. And the film was actually done and completed and in the can 10 days before it was released to theaters. Timeless Christmas film, Home Alone, 
cost roughly fifteen million dollars. And to how make. much did it? How much did it garner at the box office? In nineteen ninety, the fourteen weeks that it was in theaters, it was at number one, and it grossed over two hundred eighty-five million dollars. It made seventeen million opening weekend, um, and the only two other films in history that had made that much money in that shorter period of time was the original Star Wars and E.T. And I believe I can I can see it what the reason why that would happen. And the reason would be for kids. It's a it's a movie that's funny for kids. It's enjoyable for adults. And it's something that you would go and see a couple of times. Back then, when a movie came out to the theater, if you enjoyed it, you would go back to the theater with a friend who had not seen it, and you would watch it again, multiple times. Um, I think we saw this in the theater at least twice. If not more. But if you waited outside the door, you could hear, you know, the muffled, loud soundtrack from the movie you're about to go into. But you could also hear the audience's reactions right. to the film. And I remember waiting outside the doors, the closed doors to the screen to go see Home Alone. And you would hear literal screaming from the audiences reacting to the stunts in this film and also followed by la thunderous laughter but i rem it's like friend the episode of friends with chandler sometimes late at night i can still hear the scream and it's true it the the visceral reactions to the stunts in this film off the hook the stunts in this film still stand up to today's standards that they even say the stunt coordinator um who is um uh, freddie heiss who is the stunt coordinator for home alone one and two and he's gone on to do a, a bunch more amazing films um but they refer to the full out fall out head over heels flipping off stairs and things um they refer to it as the home alone that there's no pads there's no rubber anything all the stunts the falls the flips um are a hundred percent real every single stunt that they did in production they had to keep it into the film because they were so amazing and when they filmed them, they weren't hilarious at the time because they were so scared that when they, when uh, Chris Columbus would yell cut, he goes, I couldn't even look at the monitor and be like, I is he okay? Did he break his neck? Is he okay? And shockingly enough, um, the stunt guys made it through this film, but they would keep trying to outdo one another. Um, and make it more and more epic. And it, it shows on the film and it stands up. And it's, for me, I 
have probably watched Home Alone, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say I've seen this film at least a hundred times. Oh, sure. Because I know I, we had not one, but two VHS tapes because one wore out. I own actually two different copies of the DVD. One is when it originally came out on DVD. And then uh, the special edition, which when you mentioned that it's the 30th anniversary this year, the DVD that I have is the 20th <laughs> anniversary. So I've had this DVD for 10 years, which is shocking. And again, 10 years ago was 2010, which makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> The film is so pure. It's so great. The storyline is so wonderful. He's going to protect the house. You have <laughs> the wet bandits <laughs> with um, Joe Pesci and, and Daniel, Daniel Stern. Um, you can't imagine anybody else being these two characters. No. With Macaulay Culkin, with the... Ah, you know, in the little adventures that he goes through. And they, they're not out of the realm of possibility. So when I saw this as a kid and I was, you know, five years old, I mean, I was like, yeah, if someone tried to rob my house, like, yeah, you know, just make a little action plan. A micro, little micro machines on yes. the ground. Yeah. Oh, man. Paint cans. Dad was a painter. We had him in the backyard. But we have to give a quick acknowledgement to the great Catherine O'Hara, which I am so thrilled that new audiences are appreciating her um, with the surge in popularity of the television show Schitt's Creek, um, which is spelled... S-C-H-I-T-T-S for the censors out there. Um, She's absolutely incredible in everything she does. And this is... Her comedic uh, timing because um, well, her previous work right before this film was Beetlejuice. And so the casting director for Home Alone had done the casting for Beetlejuice. So when she's read the script for this film she goes oh i i already know who the mother's going to be because when she's on the phone talking to the the chicago police department oh. about her son kevin being home alone that the dialogue is so simple but the way that Catherine o'hara delivers it is just it's side splitting because you can just the, the sheer insanity of just like, no, I just want you to check on my son. And it's, but she's amazing. She's amazing in everything. And it shows her range. So I think Kara, I think we're ready to push play. What do you think? I think so. Okay. I, I'm, I'm so excited to watch this for the first time. For this holiday season, I haven't seen it since last year. Um, but it just for for those of you who are um, subscribers to Disney Plus, um, it is officially available as of today. 
Yep. Home Alone 1 and 2. Today, we're just going to go over the classic of Home Alone. But Home we Alone do, 2. Oh, we, we are on record as saying Home Alone 2 is definitely recommended as well. So everyone, uh, grab your enormous bowl of scoops of ice cream topped with gator chips and or grab a slice of cheese pizza or craft macaroni and cheese microwavable tv dinner and let's begin so as we said john williams is the composer of the film and right away when the music begins you know you're in for something really special and i would say that this soundtrack of this film is holidays you could put this soundtrack on and you're set for a night of christmas um it's so perfect and it's so beautiful it gives you as the kids say hashtag all the feels i also want to point out that top billing goes to macaulay culkin Oh, sure. this film. Well, he carries the whole film. It's all on his tiny little shoulders. I'm just saying, I don't know how Joe Pesci might have felt about that. But wasn't he second build? Yes. Yeah, so he's fine. Well, we forgot to talk about John Herod, who's the well, dad. Well, we didn't forgive him. He's not on screen yet, but he's incredible. And he uh, he's great in everything he does. And he has, uh, he has an, a great role in the movie Big as one of the toy executives. And he's and that's another great and part we have, for him this blue house home alone in the e is the single letter that's lowercase which i don't know why that is there must be a reason but maybe someone can tell us in the comments chris columbus and john williams also worked together on the harry potter films just and so we open up to this house this beautifully decorated house I mean, it looks like one of those miniature ceramic houses, like a little village that you would have on the top of a table with fake snow. It's like one of those collectible pieces. It's so beautiful. It's just ridiculous. And you can actually visit this house. It's in a very, very upper class, upper middle class neighborhood in Chicago, um, when I originally saw this film, and not until years later after I'd seen it many times, um, we have friends that live in Chicago, and I had to pick our friends' brains apart, and I told them there's two things that I want to do when I go to Chicago. Number one is the architecture tour on, on, the, boat? on a boat. Because of the film with Vince Vaughn as a tour guide, you realize he's not going to be the tour guide on that matter. boat. I don't care. Number two. With his hilarious quippy monologues. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Number two is the Home Alone house. Oh, well, while it's on screen, uh, edited by Raja Gonzal, who, I mean, fantastic, incredible work. Um, pull, slapped this film together. Ten and weeks. Stitched it together in ten weeks. I mean, incredible. Bravo. Okay, we're outside and we're in. Okay, so it's a very busy house kids literally running everywhere there's suitcases and we have joe pesci dressed as a police officer and he's trying to get the attention of every single person that's passing by which i hold on i'm gonna i'm just gonna say this here yeah 
if there's a police officer in my house, why would no one be acknowledging him? He's saying, excuse me. He's being polite. <laughs> he is. He's inside the house trying to get the attention of these kids. There's no adults. There's uh, Not We yet. can already see that there's like 10, 12 kids that are under the age of, what, 16? Mm-hmm. And he's going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And no one is acknowledging him. Mm-hmm. How it, This would not happen today. No. No. There she is, Catherine O'Hara. She's got a shift robe of, of sweaters, and she's on the phone. Even the phone is green, Heather. Yes. There he is. Mac attack. And he's talking about how Uncle Frank will not let him watch a movie with all the other kids. Well, the big kids. It's not even rated R. He's just being a jerk. <laughs> well, if Uncle Frank says no, that must mean the movie is really bad. Which we haven't seen Uncle Frank yet. No. But Okay, so now there's a travel book. That, for France. For France. Here comes John Hurd. He's asking if he if they bought um, a power adapter for his electric shaver while they're in France, which he says, no, why don't you just grow a goatee? So they're really they're So his aunt comes into the room and asks and asks if they have a voltage adapter. Now, I, OK, I have. They're been, really worried about the voltage hey, when they go overseas. You know what? I've been overseas and it is very important because. I mean, I can't even imagine, I mean, you know, when you go to the airport and you go travel now, there's a little kiosk where you can buy all the stuff you need. You can buy, you know, a cell phone adapter, you can buy an extra charging cord, USB cord, headphones. I mean, I don't remember how much travel we were doing in 1990, but I don't, I I think this this is a legitimate concern because you'd probably have to go to Radio Shack. (laughs) Well, it did exist. Okay, so now we see Joe Pesci. Finally the, the interacting. Police, the police officer finally gets kind of an answer that everyone he talks to, where are your parents? Oh, they don't live here. Yes. So it's not a blended family situation uh, by it's definition. Not, and it's not a group home. No, it's... um, No. Every, everybody, obviously, there, there are... Lots of suitcases downstairs in the foyer. The mom and dad of Kevin, the child, they're packing for what we assume is France because and with the adapter and with the travel book that the hustle and bustle and the stress of the holidays. Apparently, they're all, I would assume, they're gathering at this one house before they take off. Yes. For their trip. Mm-hmm. So, and they're in Chicago. So it's a major metropolitan area. So it makes sense that they would, that and, would be their starting point. And Chicago point. O'Hare is one of the largest airports in the right, world. Right. Um, this is the actor from Adventures of the Pete, Pete and Pete. Pete. So this is where his brothers and sisters are hammering home the fact Wait. that he is useless and he doesn't know how to do anything because he's the youngest. Can I just say... They're going between the what we can believe as the boys' bedroom and the girls' bedroom. There's a bathroom in between. One of the kids takes his toothbrush out of the toothbrush holder and sticks it in his pocket. Well, you never know when you might need it, I guess. And so they're while they're making fun of Kevin not being able to pack his bag on his own, 
one of his siblings, who has a nice little Christmas light Light necklace, calls him les incompetents, which is French for... I would say incompetent. (laughs) That would be my guess. I then, I never I never got the mail away translation muzzy, but that would be my guess. After Kevin gets insulted by his sister, well, and the I, bags I, I, are thrown haphazardly from the top from the second floor down to the ground below. I mean, I guess there's nothing breakable um, in in their duffel bags, but. Kevin then proceeds to, this is so iconic, and I have done this many a times when I get frustrated, is that when I get older, I, I'm not going to live with anybody. You hear me? I'm living alone. I'm living alone. I don't live alone. Um, I feel as though if I did live alone, if anything was out of place or if there's any creaking, uh, I think that my house would be haunted. I don't like, there's, it's nice to be alone sometimes, but for the most part, it's pretty lonely, but, um, that sets up what will happen in the future as we progress through the film, but he's jumping up and down like a mantra of I'm living alone. I'm living alone. And this is very disturbing to the police officer. Okay. So we're in Buzz's room. Um, and Buzz is played by an actor, Devin Matre, who he's fantastic. I, I mean, his room is set up. I mean, believable. This is completely believable of the time period of how a boy would decorate his own room. And he has, uh, this is an Easter egg, the life-size poster of Michael Jordan that has the ruler on the side. That poster is so rare. It's worth so much money because it, it was a footlocker poster that you could exclusively get at Foot Locker for Air Jordans. Wow. And so the fact that it's on the back of this door in this film in 1990. With the doorknob punched through, through it. it. It's just another reason we need a time machine, Kara. Gotta go get that poster. And then he's messing with a waterproof Walkman. Which, which we, we had. had. It's in yellow. Yes. We had that. Can we, uh, can we talk about the flannel? That both Macaulay Culkin and the cousin cousin have almost exactly the same flannel, which is holiday. Would that be called tartan? Different tartan? Maybe. I don't know. And now we look out the window to see the old man. Marley? Marley, um, which is played by the actor Robert Blossom. And so Buzz tells... Macaulay Culkin and his cousin the story of Marley about how he would kill people and then the stuff that he's shoveling out of the trash can to put on the streets is the, is the, the salt, salt from, from the bodies. Victim? Yes. Which how dark of this child. But then again it makes it's Buzz. It's Buzz and he owns a pet tarantula so I remember he fed him mice guts. He'll be good for a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. And then they 
gets scared when Marley <laughs> looks at them at the window. Which he is wearing a full suit. While he's salting. Oh my gosh. And now here comes a car that's like Tokyo drifting around the corner. Little Nero's Pizza. And he hits the lawn ornament. Lawn jockey. Little Nero's delivers in 20 minutes or you don't pay. Okay, so that's why he's speeding. His tie, We're back to Joe Pesci. His tie clip is a pistol. Of course it is. <laughs> and then we're introduced to Macaulay Culkin's little brother, Kieran. Kieran. Who's gone on to be huge in indie films. Another great actor. Oh my gosh, look at how many pizzas. This, this is such a great outfit of this... I love the jacket. I love the hat. This would be a great Comic Con costume. I've seen I've seen it at Spirit Hall. I have. But we're introduced. Here comes Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank, which can we talk about how not expensive these pizzas are? What is that? What does he say? The that it's. A hundred and twenty-two fifty, for how many pizzas? It looks like it's at least a dozen pizzas. So, a hundred and twenty-two fifty plus delivery on during the holidays in Chicago seems like a good deal. Seems like a great deal in twenty minutes or less. How do how would that even be? Po- well, yeah, how would that even be possible? <laughs> It takes a long time for a, a, a pizza to cook and, and you're bake. ordering 12 pizzas. And drive time. How would that be possible? And it's snowing. There's I, snow on the ground. He's driving like a mad person. Is he like Santa? He goes through a wormhole in a space-time <laughs> continuum? When does the clock start? Right. On the delivery time. And now we finally see that John Hurd is Mr. McAllister. He is the the man of the house who owns the house. He talks to Joe Pesci, the police officer, and the pizza guy. And Joe Pesci proceeds to tell um, John Hurd that, oh, we're just doing the proper precautions, you know, if you're going on holiday. And he goes, yeah, of course, we've got the extra security, time lights, and all that. And they just leave the police officer and the delivery, delivery guy standing there. So now everybody's eating pizza. Mm-hmm. It looks like good pizza, too. It looks like it's the all same type of pizza. And of course, what a mom thing to say. Catherine O'Hara says, I hope you're all drinking the milk. Yeah, because they're going out of town. They're going out of town. But you can see that there's the Le- two the liters, liters of Pepsi. Pepsi with the red Solo cups and the red plates. Which, where are you? There's that great debate of what goes better with pizza, milk or soda. It's a 50-50. I think it depends on, I would say... Summertime soda, wintertime milk. Yes. And I would say, are you at home? Or are you at a restaurant? Yeah. Are you at home or are you at a friend's oh, house? Oh, if you're if you're if you're not at home, you're gonna go soda. And I was the free <laughs> show that would eat my pizza, save the crust, and then I would dunk the crust in my soda. In the soda, I could see you dunking it in the milk. I did both, but 
I mean, I wasn't going milk soda. I didn't have both of them no, at the same time. No, because no, that would be crazy. Ten pizzas, he said. One hundred twenty-two fifty. Somebody owes the pizza guy ten pizzas, one hundred twenty-two fifty plus tip. And Catherine O'Hara's response is for for pizza? What? Question mark. Well, to be fair, when you hear that amount, it it's it's a lot of money, but. You have like 500 people in your house and you didn't have to do anything worth it. Uncle Frank says the reason why he can't pay for the pizzas is because traveler's checks. He only brought traveler's checks. So Catherine O'Hara is going to reach in her wallet and get cash. So here's where Kevin, here's the big turning point. Uh, all Kevin wants is a plain cheese. That's all he wants. And apparently he can't find any. The the He's looking on the he had looked all the on boxes. the table where everybody's eating at the table, and then he looks at the kitchen island in all the pizza boxes and goes, Did somebody order me a plain cheese? And Buzz proceeds to tell him that they already ate it all, which which, while he's stuffing his face. But I believe the thing that, the Pete's that he's stuffing your face, I clearly see pepperoni. So he's not eating the plain cheese to out of spite. He's eating whatever he he's wants. He's just being the typical jerk. We've, yes. already, he, we've already established when he's talking about Marley using the salt of the dead bodies and the tarantula. Which character named Marley, obviously, that's, you know... From a Christmas Carol, right? Just a just a right. little nod. But uh, anyway. We already know that Buzz is a real jerk. Yeah, and likes to push Kevin's buttons as an older brother. And then we see Fuller sucking down soda, which he had just finished the cheese pizza, and so Macaulay Culkin and Kieran Culkin, who's playing Fuller, lock eyes and. The visceral reaction of Macaulay Culkin, Kevin, to his actual little brother is like, I'm going to punch you in the face. Kevin then goes AWOL <laughs> and attacks Buzz because he's like, oh, so we just have to barf it up and pretends to vomit. Yeah, gross. When Kevin is pushing Buzz, we see milk and soda spill everywhere. On to where all of the plane tickets and passports are. Which, what a place to have them. Which they then are... Every, I appreciate that everybody gets up to clean it up. That's true. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, so they're... Cl- or many, man, many hands make light work. And so we then see them cleaning up Mopping up, yeah, with napkins. Disposable napkins. And as Heather pointed out, what a terrible place to have the passports and the tickets on the kitchen island. Which on one hand, I'm sure that they were there with all the paperwork. That they are probably going through it before the pizza got there. And then the pizza just got put there. Um, We see that an American Airlines ticket gets thrown away. Crumpled up with the napkins. With the name... Kevin, Kevin in Sharpie. Sharpie. And and the, the pizzas that are still in the um, boxes, they do have 
They are everything pizzas. They have everything they're, on they're them. They're like Supremes. Yeah. Which just pick it off. But, yeah, but you know what? Little it's kids, the principle of the thing. And it, little kids freak out. And also, let's just give a nod to, since we're not going to go into Home Alone 2. He loves cheese pizza. He gets his, his dream is when he goes to New York, he gets in the limo and he gets his very own cheese pizza. In the back of a limo. I mean, talk about the height of luxury. That's right. So Kevin gets scolded and he's going to get punished and he's getting sent um, upstairs while everyone else finishes up dinner. But without dinner. Mm-hmm. Not only did he not get his cheese pizza because somebody ate it, but then because um, Buzz was being a jerk, he started to pick to fight, and now he's getting sent upstairs before the vacation without well, the dinner. Pizza guy's finally getting his moolah. So she takes her money out of her wallet and starts counting it, and she's like, I don't have time for this. And she just gives the little Nero guy... All the money, all the cash she has in her wallet, which must be nice before you're leaving on vacation. Right. Okay, so there's our first clue. As we go on, Joe Pesci smiles and his gold tooth gives a shiny reflection. You're going to want to remember that. So as Catherine O'Hara is taking Kevin upstairs, because he's out of sorts, I'll be back. And so... He says, I'll, I will, Joe Pesci says, I will see myself out. I already spoke to your husband. Don't worry. Your house is in very good hands. Which, Wink. Which we're like, okay, there's already, I don't want to be suspicious, but something's a little off. 15 people in this house and you're the only one that has to make trouble. So we're going to the third floor, which is the attic. I agree. It is, it is scary up there. So Kevin does his best to apologize and says that he's sorry and his mom says it's too late get upstairs which i good for her i mean but i think it was a little bit of an overreaction (laughs) kevin talking about i don't want a family family sucks nothing says more about a holiday film and about the holiday season than how much you are reminded of how much your family annoys you. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Okay, so isn't this so such a callback to saying Beetlejuice three times? Where she says, why don't you say it again and maybe it'll happen. Because he said, "I, I, I wish I didn't have a family. And maybe if you say it again a few more times, it'll come true. And I'm sure that you would be, if you woke up in the morning and you didn't have a family, you would be very upset. And he said, no, I wouldn't. Right. I mean, <clears throat> when when Macaulay Culkin delivers that line, I believe it. Because uh-huh. earlier, he was cheering about, I'm living alone. Right. I'm living alone. So he, the, the seed has already been planted. Mm-hmm. So this sets up the storyline. He's going up to the third floor. And she closes the door to go back downstairs, which, what a nice loft, by the way. Yeah, very nice. It's like a game room, almost, with an extra bed. It's a pull-out bed. And I love all the Chicago stuff that's in there, too. Mm -hmm. That's great. And his little shoes. And he's so small. This is a very comfortable bed. 
It's a very blustery evening. Oh my gosh. That was so great. Oh my gosh. So they have the, the exterior of the house with the stick trees, you know, obviously winter time and the wind is howling <laughs> and along the sidewalk to demonstrate how windy it is, a PVC plastic blow mold Santa. decorative Santa is being tumbled like a tumbleweed down the sidewalk. That was fantastic. I've never noticed that before. That was great. I love all the decorations being swung around in the wind. I think that's fantastic. Oh, here comes the tree limb. Of course the tree limb is over the power line. Oh. And we see That's not surge. good. That's dangerous. We see the surge and the power goes out. Taking out the alarm clocks. Yep. <laughs> oh gosh. So we see in the morning there are airport shuttle airport shuttle buses which Man, do you remember the Cloud Nine that used to be <laughs> used to be able to rent that would come yeah. to your house? It's great. So we've got airport shuttle vans, drivers. They've uh, knocked down on, the lawn jockey. And they are knocking on the door. And then we've got the power company that's out fixing the power. We now see Catherine O'Hara look at her watch and alarmingly shouts to Peter. John heard her husband. We slept in and it introduces the, I think it is single-handedly the best, most iconic musical score, most recognizable musical score of a film because you could play this musical score of them running around the house and you, you know. And I'll tell you what, it's like a whistle while you work. You <laughs> automatically move faster when you hear the John Williams score from this Home Alone. Scene. From this scene. The hurry up scene. Yes. It's so great. Oh, here he comes. Oh, the neighbor kid. The neighbor kid. So, the, the little behind the scenes of this kid. Look at all this baggage. So, the actor playing the neighbor boy... He was actually up for the role of Kevin, which obviously went to Macaulay Culkin. But they liked this kid so much, they said, we got to put him in the movie. So and he his, got the job as the neighbor boy. his monologue bothering these poor drivers, these airport shovel drivers, I mean, come on. During the mayhem, Catherine O'Hara asks John Hurd, where are all the tickets while they're, you know, the so that were soaked, soaked last night, and he says, "I put them in the microwave to dry them off," which <laughs> isn't such a bad idea. It is paper, but I mean, as long as it's not the toaster oven. I feel like the driver that interacts with the neighbor boy is a true Chicago accent. I think he's from local casting. Do you think that maybe he they just hired airport shuttle people? Oh, that's true, right? They gotta, they take gotta take them to set. Maybe. It would certainly save money. Why not? Yeah. And he gets a line. <laughs> Did you stop bothering me? Don't bother me. Oh, so God. now we have the lineup mm -hmm. of, the kids. of the kids and the oldest cousin 
is in charge of doing a head count. And of course, Buzz is being a jerk. Yes. And the neighbor kid is now moved on from annoying the driver to... to going through their luggage. And taking pictures. Ugh. Now, and this is a time when it was, you know, actual film in a camera. Limited. There's only so much film in that camera. And to be able to see what is on that camera, you have to go to the photo mat or the convenience store and you have to drop off the roll of film and you have to wait. Well, you could do it one hour. You but could it do it that next, cost. next so, day, two next day. day, two day. But can and I, then, and then, oh, God, but can I hassle. also mention Ugh. how all the kids are dressed to go on a, what, 10 hour flight, mm-hmm. nine hour flight. Well, maybe? the oldest girl who is doing the head count, I mean, she looks like she just, she's stepped out of an ad for Chico's. I mean, she is dressed. But everybody else, we've got kids with leggings, skirt, matching jacket. The girls look hat. nice. But I mean. Buzz is wearing his Letterman jacket, which, which that's fine. fine. The oldest has been in charge of doing the head count. We see her count the neighbor kid because the neighbor kid is looking through the stuff and she can't see him and he's got a beanie on. So she counts the neighbor kid in her count. As if it was Kevin. Half in this van, half in that van. Let's go. To which the neighbor kid says, peace out, and he leaves. And Uncle Frank is just being a total jerk, as per usual. And now the... The guy who's doing the phone lines, he seems like a true Chicagoan. He talks about how the we're getting the, the electricity is back up, but it's going to take Ma Bell a couple of days to get the phone lines up and working. And she said, "That's fine, we're leaving." And then I love how the double check on the head count goes through how many boys and girls, parents, kids, and a partridge in a pear tree. Mm-hmm. And away we go. Okay, and- we're going to the airport, guys, and we're hearing run, run, Rudolph. Can we pause? Okay, we are bolting. We are running at a brisk clip of the family with their all their stuff. Their jackets. Their jackets, their coats, their scarves, their carry-ons. Tickets literally in hand. Booking it through the Chicago O'Hare Airport. Correct. While Run Run Rudolph blasts as the soundtrack. Let me tell you guys. Kara, Kara clued you in a little bit earlier. I have only been <laughs> to Chicago one time in my life. And... I landed, and it was the holiday season, and I landed at this very airport. And as I walked through the terminal, all the Christmas decorations that you see, they are still there, being used. And as I walked through the terminal with this skylight, this song was blasting over the PA. And... It was the most incredible thing. I was sad I was not there to experience I it. I could not even believe it was happening. And I turned to absolutely no one because I was there by myself. 
to a random stranger with the awe and wonder of what was happening. And I go, oh my gosh, can you believe this is happening? No. And the person was like, why are you talking to me? And was just so confused and irked and walked away from me. But it was one of the most wonderful things that had happened. I was thrilled. It's thrilled. The most, most wonderful time of it's the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It was fantastic. I so enjoyed can it. Can I also... Shout out to Chicago also, Airport. Like you said that the, the one girl looks like an ad for Chico's. Yeah. The coats that they're wearing. Mm -hmm. I mean... I want all of them. I mean, the dad, John Hurt's got a Burberry coat. They are well-to-do. That's See, that's the thing that I asked my friend that's from Chicago. When he was talking about this house, this house in the neighborhood, that said, he goes, this is a very, very, Affluent. very nice neighborhood. So it makes sense of why they would dress them like this. And the fact that they're not taking the L... The, the above ground subway. elevated train yeah or other kind of public transportation to go to the airport that they and they're going to france right well they are visiting relatives but who are in france I, I know how much it costs to go to france it is not cheap and i went like almost 10 years ago it is not cheap mm -hmm. all right they have made it to their gate the door was already closed and she's counting, and they're running. They don't have to run down the jetway. I don't understand why they're running down the jetway. Because because Run Run Rudolph is I, playing. Can I can I just say that as a reminder, this film was filmed in 1990 and came out in 1990. This is obviously pre 9 11, mm -hmm. where security was much faster, and getting onto the airplane is much faster. Mm -hmm. And they're flying on American Airlines. Mm -hmm. And we see it's probably a double-decker plane because of the size of first class. Mm. And they're serving champagne. And orange juice. Why is there a baby in first class? That's I Even as a child, I saw that baby in first class and I go, why? Get that baby out of there. Baby has high standards. Also, the thing is that you know that this is... A movie from not just the 90s but the early 90s the aunt has wrapped christmas gift bags yeah. yes you can't just as an fyi those of you who travel during the holidays or if you're bringing a present you cannot bring no wrap gifts no you cannot just as a public service now at psa and the um they give their coats to the flight attendant who takes them like she's a coat check. And Fra Uncle Frank, first thing out of his mouth is... Champagne. We want champagne. It's free, right? Because they're in first class. And flight attendant says, yes, it is. This woman is going to have to put up with Uncle Frank for, it, at minimum... I mean, when I flew from Dallas to London... That was a nine and a half hour flight. Oh, gosh. So I can imagine it would be around the same flight time that she's going to have to. And this is a flight that's first in the morning. My flight was a red eye. 
my flight left at 1030 at night, so they gave us food, and then they turned off the lights, and if then you, you went to sleep. If you were... This, this is a day, a morning flight. I would assume is the first flight of the day. These people are going to be awake. They're not going to be sleeping. So that's my, that's what I'm wondering. If you, for those of you out there who are flight attendants or work in the air, airline industry, I would think that if you were a flight attendant, your preference would be for, nighttime. for international would be nighttime flights because most of the passengers would either fall asleep or make a concerted effort to sleep. And so you wouldn't have to be so attentive attentive and being demanded of. That's my guess. I don't know if that's true or not. And now we see... <laughs> Kevin has come downstairs, <laughs> opening the third. <laughs> Speaking of sleeping, oh my gosh, the hair, the mousse that they put through his hair to make him have bedhead is great. He obviously slept pretty well yes! for not eating, and and he didn't wake up with all the ruckus of everybody running around like crazy people. Yeah, the orchestra didn't wake him up. They the did kitchen, a really great job cleaning up the is kitchen. Spotless. Well, I mean, they spilled everything, so I would. So yeah, you had to clean it anyway. I guess yeah. Can you imagine if you forgot to take out the trash with all that spilled oh. and coming home after two weeks? God. Kevin flips on the TV, and a miracle on Thirty Fourth Street is on. But it's quiet. It's, it's almost too, too quiet. quiet. And again, I just want to mention as they do the pan and scan of the kitchen, even the curtains are holiday themed. Mm -hmm. Like these people changed the curtains for Christmas. They might. Wow. So after a minute, he turns off the TV and goes, Mom? And there's no response, which again, confusion has now set in. And now we pan back to... The airplane. That's in the air. And we see the exchange of Uncle Frank and his wife about real crystal. And the salt and pepper shaker. And What's he... So he's, he wants her to put the salt purse. and pepper shakers in her purse. For what purpose? To pawn them? What are you going to do with these? So we've established... That he's a cheap, get the, as we like to say in this house, get the fish hooks out of your wallet. <laughs> he didn't pay for the pizza. No. He didn't, he's obviously not paying for this trip to France. He's a freeloader. And now he's stealing from an airline. What are you doing? You're on the plane. You are on a plane. Where? Why? And then... The poor flight attendant comes by and he's like, yeah, fill it up, fill it up, fill it up, fill it up, fill it up with that free champagne, fill it up. I hate this person. He's the worst. So you can see the difference, though, between Uncle Frank and the wife and then Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd because they're reminiscing about old holiday vacations of being in the station wagon. And Catherine Hare goes, do you think all the kids are okay? Should we check on them and coach? And he goes, it's fine. I'm sure that they're all enjoying themselves, which 
I've had this conversation again, traveling with the volleyball team of when we're separated that I'm constantly going, Oh my God, I hope that they're behaving well. Cause if I'm not keeping an eye on them, mm-hmm. which they're just like, we're on an airplane to France. What, what problems could they possibly cause? Mm-hmm. And now we have Kevin searching the house slowly <laughs> room by room. Is that, is that an iced tea poster yes. also? Yes. Okay. In Buzz's room also, in addition okay. to, in addition to the Michael Jordan poster, there's an iced tea poster. So when we walked, just now when we walked into the parents' room in the corner, there was a sewing machine with a dress form where a woman's shirt was on it in the corner. And now we're in the basement and there's another sewing machine with a mannequin with patterns draped over it. I don't understand why this has happened. Did the costume people just be like, put it in there for some reason. I feel like this is a Easter egg of some sort. Why would this family have so many electronic sewing machines? It just seems odd to me. A lot of mannequins. Why? Why mannequins? This is to make it creepier. I never noticed that. So it establishes that the furnace is scary, which could be for an eight year old boy. Mm -hmm. Especially when it screams your name. Kevin. And now he's running outside through the snow and the cars are still there. Cars are still here. They wouldn't have gone to the airport. Now we're back to the kitchen, the kitchen island, and we're pondering. So he has a realization. That his wish has come true. I made my family disappear. Worried, and worried. then remembers all the horrible things, things that, that his... they said. The, in, the insults. And so he decides... I did make my family disappear. disappear. This is going to be amazing. And it goes from confused sadness to complete and total excitement. And he now does what I believe any young child would do when they have the house alone and you now no longer have a family. He... Oh, man. He's jumping on the bed. He's eating Wearing shoes. Which... Number one, he's wearing. He's now gotten dressed. Yes. He's no longer in his pajamas. Yes, he's gotten fully dressed. He has shoes on in the house, mm-hmm. and he's jumping and eating. What if he would have choked? Oh, sure. Party would be over real quick. And then, you know, you just run around the house like a crazy person. And he instantly goes to Buzz's <laughs> Treasure trunk. chest, yes. Which is full of... Teenage boy stuff, car magazines, Playboys, which he isn't interested at all. At all. No, he could not care less. He's eight years old and he's like, disgusting. Uh, Candy. Firecrackers. Chips. I'll save these for later. He then taunts the ghost of his, of his disappeared brother. Yeah, his eviscerated brother. You better come out and pound me because I'm looking through all your private stuff. And and Kevin finds a framed photographed (laughs) a framed photographed portrait of where and and Kevin says Buzz, it's your girlfriend. Woof. Now the story behind this is the the girl in the photograph is not actually a girl. The photograph is actually of a boy. It's 
the son of one of the crew members. Um, Chris Columbus and John Hughes, specifically when they wrote that, you know, this, this is the line that we're going to say, they felt that they did not want to have a photograph of an, of actual, an actual girl and insult her. So one of the crew members volunteered his son and they dressed him up as a girl and made him look and you know had him pull a ridiculous face um for the photograph which i think is great <laughs> kevin then spots the bb gun it's a oh, rifle up on the wall i love the action figures the sports action figures that's larry bird isn't it one of the action figures in the green it might be. And he's he's picking them off from the... He's a great shot, by the way. Oh, my gosh. And now we have... Oh, okay. Uh... <laughs> the V... So he's made himself... A tasty treat. Oh, man. So we see the aftermath of him setting it up, which is... Ice cream scoop. Jumbo marshmallows. Hershey syrup. All that, but then Whip we cream. then we show a close up on the VHS, uh, yeah, VCR VHS player. He takes out a VHS of a movie he wants to watch, but there, are, uh, as you did with <laughs> with a VCR, is you stack your other tapes on top, on top of the top, VCR, and there are two tapes that are live in concert. One is Bruce Springsteen. And Video the, anthology. And the other is the Rolling Stones. Awesome. I never noticed that before. Uh, so the VHS, the VHS that of the movie that Kevin has chosen that he wants to watch, it says Angels with Filthy Souls. So it's a black and white film noir. And I believe one of the bonus features on the DVD... Has the full... Fake black and white gangster film that they made that they, for yes, Home Alone. They wrote an entire short film and filmed it in its entirety that has a full storyline um, that you can watch. And it's pretty darn good. And we see Kevin is, he has <gasps> a salad bowl <laughs> that has the biggest. Ten? Ten scoops of ice cream? I appreciate that he put it in a bowl. Oh, didn't just eat it straight out the carton? Right. He actually used the ice cream scoop and put it in a bowl and made us a, a sundae. Uh, cherries, right? Yeah. There's he's got cher cherries. He's got whipped cream. He's got jumbo sides, marshmallows. Syrup. Syrup. He also has a Pepsi. He's eating Crunch Gators, which... Frito-Lays. I, I have never in my life... Uh-uh. I've never seen that at the store again. No. Heather, you were born a child of the 80s. Yeah. I was also a child of the 80s. Never. Never. Is it a Chicago thing? Is it a fake? Maybe. I mean, you. I would, my instinct would say it's a fake bag. But the only reason that you would make it a fake bag is it's, to not have a brand name. And Frito-Lay is predominantly shown. Um, so I might, I say that it's a real thing. It must have been real. But he is covered head to toe with the napkins. Yes. <laughs> He's, I mean, I appreciate yeah. that he didn't want to destroy his white sweater. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he needed to give it to Chris Evans for Knives Out. 
I love that cable knit sweater. <laughs> and again, he taunts the dead the, souls the, the of his family. The specters of his past. <gasps> He's really telling. If I, Again, as I said before, if I was home alone and something weird was going on, I'd assume that the house is haunted. If there's he, something strange and it don't look good. Who are you gonna call? Apparently, Kevin's gonna call upon and taunt the souls of his dead family. <laughs> he's telling him to come out and pound him. He said that about Buzz, and now he said that about his mom. He oh, oh this this film is escalating quickly. Johnny and snakes and sniffles. I wonder how much ice cream he actually ate. Right. Because he's going to town on these close-ups of him. He's shoveling ice cream in his mouth. Of course, until... Keep the change, you filthy filthy animal. animal. Awesome. Awesome. Of course, now he's scared. We're on the plane. It's now nighttime. And Catherine O'Hara starts looking through her stuff. John Hurt just goes, what's the matter? And she goes, I had the funny feeling that we forgot something. Which I feel like everybody, and especially, as I mentioned before, this is in the 90s, you know, the, the, I really wanted her, what would have been great is for them to say, oh, I forgot the adapter. But he goes, the only reason you feel like you forgot something is because we left in such a rush. Valid point. But they go through the checklist of everything. And we quickly realize. And the he, they finally come to the conclusion of, oh, it was the garage. Yeah, I the garage doors. That's, that, that's it. Which he did. It is true. And she goes, no, that's not it. Again, the dad going, well, what else could we possibly have forgotten? And she has the realization, oh, my God. She delivers a line. Kevin! Yes. Because it's exactly what happened. Because they put him in that room all the way up in the attic and closed the door. And they were obviously probably awake for a few hours after that. And then they had left in such a rush. And then they had the count. And now it's like they are flying over the ocean. Yeah, they've been flying for a full day almost. It's nighttime out the window now. Well, you're also traveling forward in time. Okay. Cut to Kevin back at the house. He's now changed outfits. He's now ready to take on the snow. How do we know this? Because he has a sled he has now put on the top of the stairs. Now, Heather, I'm going to let you watch this scene Uh of Kevin going down the stairs from the second floor down the stairs out the front door. And I want you to give me your reaction. Well, I'm nervous. Because, I mean, that is a steep staircase. And he's lining up the stair, the sled so that he can slide down and go out the door. That is his goal. That had to be a stunt double. So, yes, you are correct. Uh, that is a stunt double. His name is Larry Nicholas. And he is Macaulay Culkin's stunt double. Kevin's stunt double. And 
the backstory about this stunt about going down the staircase on a sled is that if you're looking at the camera angle from the top of the staircase, um, which is over Kevin's shoulder, you can see that the staircase does not line up with the door no. at all. Um, he would actually go into the wall. And so what they did is they actually built a ramp inside the foyer of the house, the stunt coordinator, um, which is uh, Freddie Heiss. And so they built a ramp in the foyer and it had a mechanism that literally shot out... <laughs> Larry, the stunt double on, on on the sled out the door, and and they said that he flew out about thirty feet. He was airborne out the front door. And Chris Columbus and and Freddie Heist go okay. This and the stunt corner go okay. That was too much. Uh, Those are the kind of situations where you film the rehearsal. So they didn't. They didn't. No. So no. So they no. put it. They put it back on the track. Well, the thing is, when they did it the first time, Larry wasn't this. Larry, who's the stunt <laughs> yeah. for Macaulay Culkin, yeah. he wasn't on the sled. They just did it without the sled, okay. and it flew thirty feet. Oh, just the sled. Just the sled by okay. itself. Okay. And okay. So he goes. Okay. And so. Uh, Chris Columbus goes for 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 Larry to be on this. There's got to be a brake system or <laughs> yeah. something so he doesn't get hurt. He goes, okay. So they did another test run with Larry on it with the brakes, <laughs> and it was and it was okay. It was all right, but it didn't give the wow factor. Yeah. So for the second take for the actual one that they actually use in the film, before they let Larry before they hit the hit the button to to launch Larry um the stunt coordinator Freddie took flipped the switch off and took the brake off and launched <laughs> so the reaction and the the height and the flight and the speed in which he gets launched out the door that is real and that is real terror <laughs> um but you wouldn't have gotten that shot without it being launched oh my gosh so again he could have gotten horribly hurt but he went to the snowbank and it was fine (laughs) so so kevin's having a great time launching himself out the door playing in the snow we cut back to the airplane with Catherine o'hara who is almost catatonic because she's horrified about what kind of mother she is i I didn't notice this until just now the flight attendant brings a glass of water for her and john heard takes it and he's like i'll give it to her he moves to give it to her she's catatonic and he drinks it himself because he's freaking out it's so cute so it's it's nighttime back in chicago and we see the street the power's back on yes street street lights are up and there's a plumber van and now we see joe pesci and Daniel Stern for the first time. And Joe Pesci is not in a police uniform. Nope. No, he's not. And Joe Pesci proceeds to tell his partner. Marv. Marv. 
the time schedule of all the timed lights of when they come on on the street. And he's so amused with himself. Well, it's so great because we heard the behind the scenes that Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern had worked together previously. And had on, great On another film. So they're genuinely um, friends in real life. And so as Joe Pesci is explaining about the lights, the last one to come on is the that... The McAllister house, and that's the silver tuna. That is what he calls it. And, and it's very g and it's know. got a lot of jewelry and a, a lot, lot of fancy look. electronics. Crowbars up. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, now Kevin has moved on to watching another holiday classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Original cartoon. We've moved on to Snap Cakes. Oh, my gosh. He has passed out. Of course, yeah, yeah, you'd be passed out. I, but can we also talk about how his, again, his cable knit sweater that he's going to gift to Chris Evans is not covered in any kind of snackery. Mm-mm. No, keeps it clean. He and may not the, keep the table or the floor. Yeah, but he can't have everything. I love the leather lounger. Mm-hmm. But for for a house that is so fancy and in a nice neighborhood can we talk about the technology of the tv the tv is just a regular tv Mm -hmm. it's not a big screen tv or anything no it's a regular size tv yeah i guess they like to spend all their money on adventures Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so kevin has woken up from his sugar coma to the two men from the van oh okay plumbing sneaking around the house They go past his window and now are proceeding to the back door. The basement. They're going to go in through the basement. Use the crowbar. Kevin, thinking on his feet, is flipping on every single light available to him. And he turns on the basement light and they scurry off because he goes, I thought that they weren't home. Let's get out of here. And it's 7.48 p.m. So it's not that late. Mm Mm-hmm. And Kevin is now freaked out and hiding under the bed with all the popcorn. Mm-hmm. Which, rightly so. It's a good plan. And we are now landing. Which, I think that that probably... The math checks out if they left in the morning and it's 7.48. And if your flight's about nine hours long. That makes sense. And now we have the John Williams running through the airport again. Yeah. <clears throat> We're in Paris. Where they're... Uh... Pay phones are the only no, only way to communicate. There's a French woman on the phone, and she will not give up the receiver. <laughs> and I'm sure that this French woman is like typical Americans. Mm-hmm. Get some change. Guess I'm I'm gonna tell you this right now, folks. I mean, I'm just I'm not trying to be stupid. I'm just saying at an airport no. where where. International you're, flights you're in are France. coming and going. You're in France. Really? You'd have to go to the exchange booth. Yeah. Ugh, or you'd have to call collect. Oh. Because pay it's a pay phone. Kevin gets over himself. He's been under the bed long enough and feels as though, you know what? It's okay. I'm good. And I'm going to go outside and I'm going to announce to my dead family and the ghosts of my past and to the neighborhood that I am not afraid. Did you hear what I said? I am not afraid anymore. I love 
his little shoes. <laughs> They're so cute. So he he has stayed in these clothes all day. Oh no, here's Marley with his salt shovel. With his salt shovel. And again the <laughs> He's so lucky he didn't lock himself out of the house. Right. And he proceeds to scream all up all the floors and hides back into the bed with the shoes on. Oh, here she comes. Here come the Chicago Police Department. I appreciate how there is a emergency contact list that she has in her hand mm-hmm. while she's talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense of why you would have that. And they're wrapping Christmas presents at the police department. Oh, and then we get interviews to Larry, who Larry is the actual name of this actor. Oh, he's fantastic. Larry Larry Hankin. He's the officer for Family Crisis, which, again, they're getting ready for probably a holiday party. He's got chocolate glazed old-fashioned donuts oh they look good he's got a christmas mug a chocolate santa (laughs) and he's not even listening he's just listing off the general questions when he takes a bite of the donut and the piece of donut lands and sits on the receiving end of the telephone it just kills me And she explains how the phone lines are still down and they just want a police officer to go to the house and check on him and transfer back to the other woman, hyper onto, and they can't get a hold of anybody. And what I also think is amazing is all of the kids actually know the phone numbers of their friends. Right. Catherine O'Hara has has handed her planner. Uh Uh-huh. To the other family members that are in crisis mode and they can't get a hold of anybody because the phone lines are still Either up. the phone lines are down or they're all gone for the holidays. I love how that when she gets transferred, she automatically starts giving a recap of her story, assuming that she's been transferred to another person who has no idea what's going on. It's like, oh man, when you get lost in the phone system, that's so relatable. Okay, the police have actually come to the house and they knock on the door to check on Kevin as per requested. And Kevin is too freaked out from the possible home invasion that he's already thwarted. And then also Marley. So, of course, he's hiding inside the house and the police officer just goes, there's obviously no one home. And so he walks away, which, I mean... I think that's fine. I mean, he checked the perimeter of the house. Um, and then John Hurd is trying to get trying to get them back to the, the U.S. There's nothing to Chicago. There's nothing because it's the, holiday it's the holidays, scene. which, I mean, the soonest they can rebook them on a flight back home is in two days. And that they're going to go over to... John's brother's house. Which was the original plan anyway. So that the police can get a contact with them. They can regroup. But I mean to the credit of the customer service. She says you can wait for a possible seat to open up and go standby. Or maybe getting a ticket. Which I mean that 
that still happens now. If you have to change flights or change, <clears throat> you know, you can fly standby or you can wait for someone to not make their flight before the door closes. Is a possibility that a seat may open up. We're back to oh, the house. Oh, iconic. Iconic. Kevin has now... Taken a shower. He is now explaining... To himself. To himself in the mirror about all the things that he did and how he used shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and now he's putting on the aftershave for the iconic... So, in the original script, they have the dialogue written out, and he does the tap-tap with the aftershave, and he was supposed to put his hands down and then jump down from the counter and exit off camera. But Macaulay Culkin goes, if I've never shaved my face before, and I shave my face and I put aftershave on my face, it's probably going to burn right and Chris Columbus goes yeah and he goes well why wouldn't I scream so it went from John Hughes doing the tap tap to the hands down exit Kevin Macaulay Culkin does the tap tap keeps his hands on his face and screams into the mirror which creates the most iconic so now we see Macaulay Culkin now has changed his outfit again into another festive sweater and his shoes. And he's now eyeing some box up on Buzz's Well, that's where he keeps his money. Well, it's his baseball cards. But why would you... I mean, that is a hard place. Again, all the collectibles. Oh, no. Oh. oh. So while Kevin is trying to get this box... The shelves all collapse, sending Kevin down underneath and is crushed by all the collectibles and the shelves. And just so you know, again, such a hats off to the stunt coordinator, Freddie, who sets up the rig for Larry, who is the stunt double for Macaulay Culkin. And... And so when he gets to the top, he barely gets his hand up there and they pull a pin and the shelves collapse onto Larry and they see him falling down to the ground and they almost didn't get the take because the entire crew was laughing so hard. <laughs> so Kevin shakes it off and gets the, the money. Oh, your life savings. And it's like $5. There's no money in there. Oh, oh and then the tarantula has tarantula now Tarantula on the loose. Oh, iconic outfit. Puffy jacket, red scarf, reindeer cap. So Kevin notices on his way out for his adventures... That the plumbing van is parked outside of his neighbor's house. And he said, I thought that they went to Florida, Florida. and shrugs it off. And of course we see oh. our old friends going through their Harry house. Harry and Marv are just dripping this place apart. There's no, it's so unnecessary. The phone lines are now working and John heard Kevin's dad is leaving a message for his neighbor saying that they are in Paris. Call us back, please. 
and leaves the phone number. To which Marv, all he hears is that the house is empty. We need to go. <laughs> Silver tuna tonight. And we see Kevin at, at the local convenience store asking about toothbrush if it's approved by the American Dental Association. And she doesn't know. And he goes, I, I need to know. I need to find out, please. <laughs> and here comes Marley with his boots. I love all of the Christmas gift wrapping and the candy and the Hallmark display. And Marley has a cut hand. And Kevin is speechless and is terrified. And they tell Kevin, who's gripping death grip onto this toothbrush, <clears throat> terrified. And he runs out of the store with the toothbrush and little Jimmy, who's stock in the shelves chases after kevin and then he tells the police officer shoplifter shoplifting a toothbrush which he didn't even realize he was still holding on to it but really a cop's gonna run you down for a toothbrush no but for the purposes of the story. Which the police officer was writing a ticket right he's not gonna stop writing the ticket so we then see Kevin gliding across oh. the local rink to make his getaway from the police officer. Fun fact about this pond across the way from the convenience store is that it was an abnormally warm. They're filming in February, right? February. And at this point it's March. Mm. And they had to have a fake pond and they had dish soap that they put on plexiglass <laughs> and so that's why kevin's able to slide the way he did and then he's also being pulled on a rig with a camera nice and now he's running back home there's the train you can see the train <laughs> he looks down dejectedly at his little toothbrush and says i'm a criminal <laughs> He's so disappointed in himself. Oh, He's God. so upset. Now we see... Jeez. What? Marv. Stuffing the sink with... Dish, dish towels. And turning on the water. And now the van is full of... Contraband. And Joe Pesci goes, what's so funny? You did it again, didn't you? And, of course, he steals a snow globe that's on his side of the dashboard. And he, and so he tells her, I, I, it's our calling card. We're the wet bandits. And he goes, you're really sick, man. You're really sick. You should talk to somebody about that. So Kevin's so in his head about stealing, the, about his robbery, that he doesn't even notice that the van is barreling towards him. <laughs> Joe Pesci slams on the brakes and just inches away from running him over. Sanny, don't visit the funeral, funeral homes. homes. <laughs> uh oh. And so Joe Pesci flashes his smile to seem like a nice guy and friendly. And Kevin sees the sparkly tooth and realizes and goes, oh my gosh, 
And now Joe Pesci's like, I don't like how he looked at me. And now they're going to follow. And see which house he goes into. Um, and I believe that iconic scene, that iconic close-up where, <laughs> where Kevin screams and the car rolls up just inches away from his face. What you were seeing is actually a reversal of the film. Um, they had Kevin scream, stand face to face with the grill of the truck and scream. And they actually, Went on, on ropes, pulled the car backwards and away from him. And then flipped the film for the actual movie. Which, that that makes me feel better. <laughs> so Kevin, instead of running to his house, he actually runs to the church. Which is a great plan. Kevin's smart. I'm sorry. To which they go, oh, he went in the church. And he goes, oh, I'm not going in there. And he, they go, oh, yeah, church gives me the creeps. And we see that Kevin is actually in the nativity scene. Which, again, very smart. And he's still got the toothbrush. And as he's running back home, he goes, when they come back, I'll be ready. And now we see it's later on at night. All the lights are on at the house with music blasting. There are shadowy figures obviously having a party in the front room. And the guys who are the wet bandits are very confused and are like, how did they get home so fast from Paris? And then we cut to the inside of the house and there's all of the dummies. Michael Jordan cut out on a train that are having a party and Kevin is controlling all of the dummies and the wet bandits drive away and say we'll come back in the morning and kevin goes success (laughs) so good bat meanwhile back in france oh god they're watching it's a wonderful life in french and it's i love it so much the kids are trying to understand what in the world is going on oh i love the tree Oh my goodness gracious. I mean, if Tiffany Company ever made a tree, oh, it's white with beautiful blue ornaments and decorations. The Eiffel Tower is the view from their house? Well, they probably live in an apartment though, huh? But still. But Uncle Frank is now passing out the shrimp, which are for later, and he doesn't care. So Buzz now is the only person that doesn't care and probably Uncle Frank, but everyone else, it has genuine concern that they feel bad that they forgot him and they feel bad that he's alone. But Buzz doesn't explain to himself of why he's not upset because he's like, it, we live on in the most boring street in the entire world where nothing, nothing can possibly happen. And A, I'm not that lucky. And, and three, I feel like this, this exchange is the birth of the cliche in a movie of making a list and alternating numerics and letters, letters as a comedic effect. <laughs> because three things, A, you know, one, 
we're not that lucky. And B, it's it works. It works every time. Okay, here comes little Nero's again. Same delivery guy. And there's a note on the front door that says, Please come to the back, back door. Okay, so now we have found out that Kevin is using the VHS of Angels with Filthy Souls to use an adult voice to talk through the door <laughs> to the pizza delivery guy. I love this because it's so totally and completely unnecessary. There's no reason. He could have just taped the money to the window of the back door and that and he would have left it. But this is but it but it's fantastic. And there's no tip. And so the delivery kid because it's the same delivery kid as before, that and was a nice tip. And she gave him a Mondo tip. And yeah. Where he actually was like, wow, wow, nice tip. And he's like, cheapskate. Which I, I appreciate. A, a little kid would not give you a tip. A little kid, how much is it? It's, tw- it's, it's eleven. Tr- it's eleven fifty, And he gives him $12. Yeah. I think that's really. And I think also that's all the money that he has. Sure, from Bud, Buzz's life savings. But then he pretends to shoot him. Yeah, that's not cool. That's not okay to terrify the delivery driver. I mean, I would understand if the original take was to not pay for the pizza. For him to run away without him paying. Okay, you want to scare him enough that he runs away without you having to give money for the pizza? Fine. But why do you give him not enough tip and you terrify and pretend that you're... You're yeah, shooting That's him. not cool. I'm not okay with that. And it's loud enough for him to hear it out in the front of the house? Plus, wouldn't you think he would call the cops? Yeah. To report that? Anyway. Then, wouldn't then you know, playing into... Ah, oh, lovely cheese pizza just for me. Oh, gosh. So this, the old couple that she is talking to, to exchange, are the grandparent, the woman is a grandparent that they use in 16 candles correct she's she's got a whole shoebox full of dangly dangly ones we don't need from a mother to a mother please (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh they're fantastic and so they end up doing it Mm -hmm. because they feel bad they're like oh all right I love how he's he has the tickets for the Avis rent a car too. Yeah, he's organized. Oh, and now we're Johnny watching Carson. Johnny Carson in the Tonight Show. Now he's like he's been home for a single. No, this is day two. This is day two. And he's Aww. looking at the family photo and how sad he is. Which the family photo that he's holding, they're in. The clothes that they're wearing in the opening sequence. (laughs) He's wearing the flannel shirt and everything of all what the actors are wearing in the house in the opening sequence. Really? Back it up. Back it up. Is what they're wearing in the family portrait. Let me see. (laughs) It's awesome. I love it. Except John Hurd has glasses. And well, he a, has glasses. I mean, he... well, he wasn't wearing it in the opening sequence. Yeah. Oh, that's so And he cute. kisses him goodnight and puts it under his pillow. That's so cute. Which, by the way, he's going to bed at like, the clock says what nine forty two. He's going to bed early, he's guys. He's had a day. He's it was a day. stressful day. He's got to get day. up early. 
<laughs> and again, he's taking another shower and he's having a sing along while he's combing his hair and he's singing to White Christmas. Oh, here and comes he's... aftershave. He's going in again. Because Didn't it learned his de- lesson. Oh, and would... then there's a tarantula. Oh, are you going grocery shopping? But he can't go to the same no. stores well, where he. Well, the other he's... place wasn't going to have produce and stuff. That was just a little. Well, he can't go there because he's a criminal. That's right. So I appreciate how he got regular milk. He didn't get chocolate milk, and they showed that specifically. He's loaded up. He's got milk. He's got orange juice. He's got fabric toilet, softener, toilet paper, TV Stouffer's TV dinner, Wonder Bread, macaroni and cheese, Tide. This is before Tide Pods. And I love the small talk that he has with the lady who's doing the groceries. And he's got a coupon. And it was in the paper this morning. So this exchange that's coming up where she asks where his mom is and his brothers and sisters, that was all ad-libbed. They did this scene a couple of times and then they told her, just keep going. And so the exchange after that is ad-libbed. Would I be at a store by myself? I don't think so. <laughs> so when he goes, you're a stranger, stranger. it's all, that's real. <laughs> and him walking home with the groceries oh. and the bags break. Oh. And he's doing the laundry in the basement and he tells the furnace to shut up. That's right. He's now a man of the house. That's right. And he's not afraid. That's right. As he shouted to the to the cold wilderness earlier yeah <laughs> and the exchange between Here. joe pesci and and danny stern is amazing in the car oh now yeah no tomorrow yes now and kevin is washing the dishes which they have a dishwasher isn't that amazing? Oh, he's shoe, washing the dishes. The shoe through the doggy door, which they don't have a pet. Why do they have a doggy door? Maybe they're maybe between pets. Oh, so the the VCR is already queued up. So he pushes it so there's an adult voice to be heard. <laughs> Daniel Stern just being absolutely incredible, reacting to the overheard conversations between snakes. And Kevin now queued up with the film, sets off firecrackers in a kitchen pot. Pot and it and it scares Terrifies. him away because he's like, they're Life having an fire. argument, and he blew this old dude blew him away. He beat him to the job, and now he blew, got blown away. And because that guy named Snakes, why do I know that name? Snakes. S- snakes. snakes. Why have I heard that? Before? I don't know no snakes. snakes. He sounded like a snake. To which Joe Pesci reacts coolly and calmly and devises a plan that they're going to wait for the for the criminal offender to come out. That way, if they get picked up... Don't you think it's a good idea for us to have a, a face, face to, to that go, name? To go with their questions? <laughs> oh, gosh! Okay, so we're back in America... Catherine O'Hara has made it back to America and she is talking to the American Airlines ticket agent. And this actor is also in A League of Their Own. He plays 
the boyfriend and eventual husband of Marla Hooch. He's great. You got a ticket there. That's very nice. Excuse me. Oh, she's so great. Oh, she's in Scranton. <laughs> oh, gosh. And now we see in the background, we see oh, a bunch of guys in yellow jackets. Matching silk jackets. If I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I am making it back to Chicago tonight. To get to my son. <laughs> oh. And John Candy scares Catherine. What? what? <laughs> so John Candy proceeds to tell Catherine O'Hara that they're going to rent a U-Haul. They're part of a polka band. The polka kings of the Midwest goes through his catalog of songs of how you might know him. But, again, behind the scenes, things that you, Heather and I enjoy so much about this film is John Candy, who was in Uncle Buck with uh, Macaulay Culkin and uh, John Hughes. John Hughes said, hey, I think it would be great the, for how Catherine O'Hare is going to get back to Kevin is she's going to get in a van in a U-Haul. With this polka king, and it's got to be John Candy. And so, John, John Candy came as a personal favor, favor to John Hughes. And John Candy thought it was going to be a small thing, a couple hours. He was shooting for one day, and one day only. When I say one day, he did 23 Hours. And he did it for scale. So at that time, that would mean that he was paid $400 for his time. Which, funny enough, the casting director said that the kid who, the teenager who was the delivery boy for Little Nero's, got paid more for this film than John Candy did. <laughs> and of the bulk of John Candy's dialogue is entirely improvised. Uh, the This part in the airport is pretty close to the script, but when they get in the van, that's all John Candy. But Catherine O'Hara had worked... You would give me a ride? <clears throat> Catherine O'Hara uh, also worked with John Candy previously on uh, SCTV, so they already knew each other pretty well and so she's elated and said i would love to hitch a ride with you and the polka kings back to chicago you, we can you, get you, happily drop you off on the way you you sure you wouldn't mind hitching a ride with some polka bums no i'd love it so now we see our wet bandits who were asleep in the car and they see kevin up on a, a step stool, a ladder, and he's cutting the top off of a tree in his backyard. And they said, we're getting tricked by a kindergartner. And we see Kevin proceed to decorate, hit the top of this uh, tree from his backyard with all of the ornaments and the lights. And he sets it up in the corner and he sees the reflection of Joe Pesci 
in the side of the ornament and oh says, Dad, God. can you help me? So good. And he said, hey, you know the kid that we saw yesterday? He lives here and he's all alone. He's not just all alone. He's, he's home alone. And I've got to say, for a couple of criminals living in a van, they're dressed pretty well. But even, even Dan Stern's like, you want to come back and rob the place with the kid here? I don't know if that's such a good idea. <laughs> but then he, Joe Pesci convinces him and he's like, yeah, you're right. Kids and are scared of the dark. No, he doesn't. Daniel Stern doesn't say the kids are scared of the dark. Daniel Stern says kids are a scared of the dark, merging the word afraid and scared. And it kills me. Oh, my gosh. Here we are in the back of a U-Haul. So they are practicing their instruments while they're in the back of the van. So that's just to just show you the process of the journey. Oh, so cute. Now we have Kevin trying to visit Santa at Santa's house. And Santa is just leaving, getting in his Honda. And <laughs> Santa is obviously, you know, like a college student. Part, you know, holiday work. Yeah. And, and he's got... His Santa suit, full full Santa suit on with an overcoat. And his beard is down. And he's like, oh, giving Santa a parking <laughs> ticket? Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then he's also smoking a cigarette. He th As soon as he sees Kevin, though, to his credit, he ditches the cig. Oh, what makes you say I'm not Santa? Oh, oh, shit. oh. And puts his beard back on. And, it's so cute. And how lovely Kevin Goes, look, I know you're not the real Santa, but I know that you work for him. Yes, which, you know, if of course, what parents tell their children is that the Santa Claus at the mall is not really the real Santa Claus. He's one of Santa's helpers, and he tells Santa what you want for Christmas. And then also the guy who's playing Santa says, oh, I think Santa's helper took all the candy canes home to her, her boyfriend, boyfriend the elf that we saw and the only thing he wants for christmas is his family back and he well specifically his parents and then he names off everybody else and he goes and if he has time buzz. buzz which the with the santa claus is like wow that's really heavy i'll see what i can do and so uh, Kevin goes, okay, thank you, and goes to leave, and <laughs> the guy goes, Stick out your wait, little paw. wait, 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 you gotta have, you can't, you can't just visit Santa Claus and leave without nothing, I gotta give you something. Stick and out so your little paw pats here. his pockets, tells him to stick out his mitten, just hold out, hold out your little paw there, <laughs> and he tap taps three Tic Tacs into his hand which by the way it's all that's in there it's, it's spearmint so it's holiday but you can also see the package of yeah, cigarettes in the waistcoat <laughs> in the waistcoat of the santa claus costume but what i think is insane is that the guy who's playing santa is not concerned that there's a small child who just said i want my family who, <laughs> He doesn't call the police. No. He doesn't say, hey, do you want a ride to the orphanage? 
<laughs> what group home have you escaped from? Oh, my God. I don't know, really know how they roll in Chicago, but I guess they don't really get into other people's business. All don't right. really ask a lot of questions. And then, of course, oh. Santa's car doesn't... Okay, can I just tell you that part where he gets in his car, he turns on the headlights, revs the engine and puts it into gear, and it rolls forward and dies... That is genuine. That was not part of the script. He was supposed to turn on the car and drive past camera. When you see the car, it's it's a wreck. It's a wreck. And they got the car because of the look. And that was genuinely happened. That the car That broke. the car died on camera. And the crew was laughing so hard that they had to edit out the audio at the very end. <laughs> so perfect. It was so perfect. And now Kevin is walking down the streets oh. and he sees oh. all everybody. Some good stuff. Hey, there. wait, wait. Is that the Santa that was rolling down the street on the porch? Let's see. Maybe. Maybe. They got to. <laughs> oh. Well, we know that the church is close to his house because he yes, ran there. Correct. And so, of course, Kevin is going to. Christmas Eve, Mass. Yeah. Beautiful church. Choir. Which, by the way, there is a full choir in here singing for Christmas Eve Mass. There is a, a handful, if that many, people in this church. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we've been to Christmas Eve Mass sure. many a times. And it is standing room only. How yeah. is there a full choir that, that that is this good and no one is there? I don't know. Um, I'm sure there that was point a point of discussion um, when uh, putting this scene together. My instinct is because they made such a big to do about calling when they're in the airport in France, calling home and everything, and saying no one is answering the phone or they've all Everybody's gone on vacation uh, that that if they had a church that was packed they'd be like so why is no one able to help them i think that probably played into that um that's my guess but there's not even enough parents of the children that are in the choir in the pews to watch them perform there are less than 10 people in this church yes and he is obviously familiar with the church because mm -hmm. he's got the etiquette, takes off his hat, picks a certain pew, and he <laughs> sees Marley, mm -hmm. and he is shocked, surprised, and scared. Yes. Marley takes a look around and sees that he's by himself. Yeah. Kevin is by himself. <laughs> so Marley proceeds to get up and come over to Kevin, who's terrified and he go looks around and he goes merry christmas and kevin goes from a double a double take of like oh you're being nice to me he's so confused and asks if he can sit and he's like and he just nods like okay yeah. and he sits down next to kevin because this is one of the scenes that chris columbus had a huge part in writing um, he saw this scene in um, John Hughes's original draft 
And he goes, I think this scene is really important. And I think we can really make something special out of this scene. And <clears throat> this actor, Robert Blossom, he's so wonderful and so genuine, so sincere. It's so sweet. It's so relatable that you can't help but feel. And he tells Kevin that his granddaughter is singing in the choir, and that's why he's here. And he does not get along with his son. And he's not and welcome anymore. He's not welcome to interact with their family, which is so sad. So he's by himself. <clears throat> for the holidays. And Kevin is by himself. So and Kevin just proceeds to say, why don't you just say that you're sorry? Sorry. Why didn't you call him? I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. And he says, I'm afraid it's not that simple. Marley goes, what if, what if I call and he won't talk to me? And he goes, well, you'll, you'll never know unless you try. And he said, yes. And Kevin goes, well, at least you would have tried. And then, you know, and then you'll never have to worry about it again, which it's true. It's so true. And um, then Kevin proceeds to talk about how he was afraid of the furnace in the basement. And it said it's bothered him for <clears> years, <throat> which mind you, Kevin is eight years old. So it's like, how, how long could it possibly bother you? But what's so wonderful is but, it's one of those things where where it's so true and it's so universal, where if you don't talk about things and you keep it locked up in your head, that things just grow and manifest and become completely insurmountable. But if you're able to talk to someone and express your feelings and get a different point of view of what a situation is, sometimes you can break it down in the most simplest terms and realize that you can conquer those things. And I think that's a really important and worthy message in a children's movie to tell kids it's okay to talk about your feelings because someone might be able to help you. To which Kevin says, so you don't see her, your granddaughter at all? And Marley says, well, I send her a check on her, on, on her birthday. And, and Kevin go, is impressed and he goes, that's nice. I wish my grandparents did that. They usually send me pajamas or clothes, which he's not happy about at all. And Marley goes, well, that sounds very nice. <laughs> Proceeds to talk about how his friend got made fun of because of the type of pajamas that he had because he had dinosaurs all over him. Just rumors, rumors of dinosaur pajamas. And he says, oh, I got to get home and bundle up out there. It's cold out. All right. So Kevin has made perhaps changed Marley's life. He's given him something to think about, to which Kevin exits the church, but realizes what time it is, and he's got to put some hustle into it, because he's got to he, get home to thwart the bad guys. He's, it's a busy day. It's a busy day. There's a lot. Kevin does a lot of cardio in this film. He does. He's on his way. So we've got a different uh, underscore of music uh, for a hustle and the bustle. And I'm just noticing now, as he's hustling down the street, each 
house he passes, the automatic timer of the Christmas lights pop up. I never noticed that before, and it's so fantastic. It's so great. But did you notice when he gets to the house? The front door is unlocked? Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. Especially when you know the criminal And element. now he's locking it and when he gets he in the door. It's my house. I have to defend it. That's right. And then, oh. this is the best, is he has the battle plan that... With a grid. Which I, then lays out exactly the plan I, that it's got it's, Christmas ornaments, heavy cans, tar, red micro hot, oh there's feathers, glue... Ice and there's fire. I I eat so and it's it's so quick. It's, they only show up for a moment. It, I love by Kevin McAllister. Yes, he he signs the bottom. It's such a little kid thing to do. I love that Christmas ornaments is misspelled. That's great. The I, cans have motion lines. Oh, it's so good. I I. I would love... I wonder if they sell art prints of that layout because it's so good. I would love one of my friend's oh. kids to make me Recreate a Recreate it? Yes. Okay, so we see <coughs> the mini oh. truck, the little Hot Wheels get put up. He's now pouring a giant bucket of, of water. water onto the cement steps. Oh, because it's going to freeze. He then gets... A hibachi. Oh, we see this oh. again, the... I don't even know what that thing is. And now he's got the hose. Oh! He's got the hose uh, dripping the the water down the back steps. He's putting tar... Through roof tiles. No, he's putting the tar on the inside steps in the basement. Yes. And now he has a nail. Oh, God! Now he's going to his treehouse. Stringing a zip line. From the top window. Which he probably learned how and to tie a knot for Boy Scouts. Glue. And now he's got a fan with feathers. And now he's got ornaments next to an open window next to the Christmas tree. Paint cans with twine. Tarantula on the move. Mm. Oh. The Stouffer's Microwave Cheesy Mac and Cheese TV Dinner. So, okay. The the so, John Williams music is the, sets up the montage for him to set up his battle plan. Yes, and here's where, what I want to say. Uh, a couple of years ago, I believe it was for a home security system. Yes. The home security people licensed this movie and actually had adult... Macaulay Culkin reshoot this sequence. What's coming up is Kevin's going to be at the dinner table and he's about to bite into his mac and cheese when he hears the hustle and the bustle of the criminals coming so he doesn't get to eat his macaroni dinner. And in this commercial that was made, he has his... his, um, mac and cheese TV dinner at the same place setting at the table and he hears the criminals but because of his security system he knows he's safe 
and adult Macaulay Culkin actually eats the macaroni and cheese in the commercial. And the public reaction to that was so overwhelmingly positive because the public was like, it always bothered me so much that he didn't get to, eat. Didn't get to eat his dinner. Well, he also didn't eat two nights before when he got sent. Right. So when in this revamped commercial of adult Kevin getting to fully enjoy his mac and cheese, made so many people happy so here we go real movie harry and marv have pulled up they are going to take this house once and for all yes it's more than just a robbery now it is a mission so how are how are they going to hit the house we're going to go for the back door we could even knock and he might let us in you never know because kids are stupid yeah they don't know who they're messing with they don't Clearly. know that he has a battle plan. And I love that, again, he's at home. He's got his fancy glass of milk. Nutritionist microwavable meal. And it's 9 o'clock. Blows out the candles. Don't be scared now with his BB gun. Okay, so Joe Pesci taunts, straight up taunts Kevin. Through the doggy door, peer, oh God, peers the BB gun and he shoots... Joe Pesci, right in the beans. (laughs) And and Joe Pesci, one of the things that that everybody says who worked on the film is that Joe Pesci's signature acting is using... The effort. Is using profanity. And they said that was the biggest struggle for him was to not use profanity. So he had to make up a gruffled, disgruntled language of talking through the pain and anger. Um, so Joe Pesci gets shot in the nards by a BB gun. Oh, jeez. So then it, Daniel Stern straight up puts his head through the doggy door and gets a BB right between the eyebrows. Shoots him in the face. In the face. the little jerk is armed so now they're gonna split up one's gonna go to the front door one's gonna go to the back door oh gosh now the 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 ice steps the ice has frozen and here comes joe pesci oh god i mean i don't know if any of you out there have had the wind knocked out of you by falling flat on your back but it is not fun you guys it is so painful and so that's what we get right out the gate and this stunt where troy brown who's the stunt double for joe pesci does the almost backflip off the icy steps onto his back there's no pads there's no nothing they thought that he had really hurt himself because he lied there motionless. And on interviews, Troy said, I laid there because no one yelled cut. And I didn't want them to not use the take. And so I laid there and waiting for them to yell cut. And he goes, eventually a minute went by and then they brought out the paramedics. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I find they're like, we thought you were dead. (laughs) 
Okay, so Daniel Stern is going to the basement steps. No! No! Okay. Oh, God. And he falls down a flight of icy stairs. And, and you guys, I don't know if you've ever fallen down a flight of stairs, but I have. And it's... That's an accurate representation. You are... You are surprised, and you are flying through the air, and when, <laughs> you, <laughs> when you land, when you eventually come to a stop at the end of the landing, you lay there completely disoriented and wondering what has happened. So in about 30 seconds, we see our oh. two um, <laughs> robbers just eat it on these stairs and this is what is now known in the biz with stunts is called the home alone oh my god <laughs> he tries to stand he, tries, <laughs> he puts a crowbar in the, in the windowsill of the door no oh! <laughs> he falls down and the crowbar lands on his head oh Okay, Joe Pesci is going to use the handrail. That's a good idea. And it's so slippery. So oh, it gosh. has actual ice and then it has... Oh! No! Okay, we're down again. So it has ice and it has dish soap on oh, it for these scent guys. So these are real... They're actually <laughs> flipping inside. And there's oh. actually plexiglass on oh. the ground. To make it Daniel extra Stern. I mean, I mean, it's obviously the stunt actor as well, but Daniel Stern as well with the physicality is incredible. And he's using the po crowbar so hard, trying to break open the door, and he tries the handle, and it's actually unlocked, <laughs> so he can just go in. <laughs> and he steps in. Everything's cool. It's just a basement. Now. I would have to say, being inside the mind of the criminals at this point, I don't think that they process that he, Kevin, has iced those stairs. No. They are just thinking it's winter in it's Chicago icy. And, and it's icy. icy. They don't have any suspicion that they are being played right now. God. So Daniel Stern, pulled, Marv, pulls the li overhead light. In the basement. In the basement, and it's connect. Kevin has connected it to, an, to iron. an iron, and when he pulls the chain, he's actually pulling the electrical cord to the iron, and it flies full force downward and clocks him in the forehead. Because of course, when you hear whooshing through the air, you look up to see what's coming at so you. Da so Danny so Daniel Stern talks about this shot and says that well, there's a camera looking up seeing the iron falling down through the chute but then it shows from the point of the view of the iron coming down onto yeah. him and they said we can't use the stunt double. Yeah, because it has face. to be you. And so he goes, "Okay, so how are we going to film that? And he said that it was on a rigging. It was a 300-pound camera that they dropped down the chute. And it had a rope connected to it. <laughs> and he goes, okay, and you're just going to drop the camera? And they go, yeah, and it's going to drop towards your face. And he goes, well, you guys have measured this out right before, before to see that it will stop before it hits. They go, yeah, but 
I don't know how well we're tying the ropes off, but I guess we'll find out. So he says the, the terror on his face as it's falling towards him is real because he didn't know if the camera, the <coughs> rope was going to hold or not when they dropped the camera. Oh, gosh. And of course, there's a imprint of the iron on because, his face. Because Kevin had heated up the iron. Oh, okay. Joe Pesci coming to the stairs again, gripping the handrails. This is attempt number three. Slip and slide, slip and slide up the stairs. And he's up. Okay, he's at the landing. He's at the door. And, of course, Kevin has heated up the doorknob. Oh! Which, of course, has a signature emblem of M for McAllister. Oh! Okay, we're down the stairs. Oh. Right into the ice. Which and, like, Indiana Jones style with the Ark of the Covenant, he has burned the M into his hand. No. No, 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 no. Daniel Stern is going up the tar-laden steps, and his shoes are stuck and his to sock. the tar. And his then socks. his socks. And then he steps on a nail. Can I tell you? Um, so there is a famous silent film actor. His name is Harold Lloyd. If you don't know him, look him up. Um, he was around the t same time as Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, and he was a stunt actor. One of his most famous films is called Safety Last. And it's a bit of a spoiler because it's the very final shot of the film. And Harold Lloyd is on the top of a building where they're retarring the roof. And as he walks away from the camera, one shoe gets stuck in the tar and as, as he's walking, then his second shoe, then his sock, then his other sock, and he's left barefoot. I feel that because Chris Columbus and, and John Hughes are such cinematic buffs, I feel like this is a little bit of a nod to Harold Lloyd, especially since this movie is, is slapstick. slapstick and so heavy in stunts. I have a feeling that that's completely a nod to Harold Lloyd. So now Joe Pesci is to the back door of the kitchen where he initially got shot in the balls. <laughs> he, ch he checks the, the knob. Yes. And it is unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> Blowtorch to the skull. Oof. Which he then screams in pain... Puts his head in the snow. Oh! And he has seared off his hair. And it is charred. So he was wearing a knit cap. So the knit cap caught fire. And his hair burned with the cap. Oh! Oh, <laughs> oh God! And so after the nail oh. goes through, oh. um, did... Daniel Stern's foot, he decides to flee back out the back door and he closes the door and he slips immediately in and the crowbar nails hits. him again. So we see Joe Pesci. He's pissed now. His head's on fire, seared, frozen hand, kicks open the door. His head is still smoldering. Oh, Daniel Stern crawls with the assistance of the banister. And he's going to go through the back. Oh, no. He's not going to go through the back door. He's going to go through. Barefoot in the snow. He's going to go through the open window. 
So Joe Pesci is in the house and and behind a closed door, Kevin screams to lure him into this this room. They have an exchange and I just noticed that on a table there's a pair of sunglasses that has to be from a crew member because nobody's going to be wearing sunglasses in this movie. That's, this is the one flaw that I have found so far, guys. And I just noticed it now on View 100. So and, and we're doing Kevin good. has set up a fan with what I can see is probably a dismantled pillow, pillow yeah. with feathers mm-hmm. yeah. that he's luring Joe Pesci. Come and get me. Which... He then has glue. He had poured glue onto plastic wrap. It is a contraption that then makes the fan turn on manually and spray Joe Pesci with the feathers, which will now glue to his face. If you look off to the side on the table of where Kevin was supposed to be eating his microwave dinner, it's not macaroni and cheese. No, it is a three compartment microwavable dinner. Um, which would be a different Stouffer's a, a, meal. A protein. It looks like it might be a section of my mac and cheese and some sort of dessert. You're right. The glass of goblet of milk is the same though. Oh, that feather. I wonder how many times they did the feather take. I mean, it had to be a one and done because the cleanup would. No. Oh God. Marv is coming through the window. And, of course, he doesn't look down and he doesn't see ornaments. Oh! Oh, full weight. I'm literally not watching you guys. It is too much because I don't know. I'm going to kill that kid! I don't know if you guys have ever stepped on a glass ornament. Or a Lego. But I have stepped on a glass ornament. And, luckily, glass doesn't really hold on to anything, um, like, bacteria-wise or stuff like that. It's but relative. it hurts like hell. Oh, it it hurts like a piece of glass is inside your So, foot. so the Danny Stern um, actually did that stunt, and the ornaments are made of sugar, sugar glass, <sighs> which I think would still be pretty sharp. Sure. The exchange between the two, why the hell did you take your shoes off? Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? Micro machines. And again, classic stunt that is referred to as the Home Alone is a synchronized, all-out, head-over-heels, feet and legs in the air, flat on the back. And Kevin is now upstairs. He still has his BB gun. um, And he now... Taunts them, trying to get them to chase him up the stairs. Which, as they go up the stairs, Kevin throws down paint can number one. Oh! Direct hit. Paint can number two. Direct hit. And Kevin has set up a trip wire at the top of the stairs. <clears throat> Kevin has knocked out Joe Pesci's gold tooth with the and paint it's can. His, and it's his favorite tooth. Well, sure. Kevin then calls 911, pretends to be an adult, gives the address of his neighbor house, and says, My name is Murphy. I'm being robbed. Which, they would be able to tell that they weren't... Oh. Oh. Which then leads us to the best scene of the entire film. Kevin trying to get away. And the tarantula saves the day 
Kevin puts the tarantula on his face. So let's, do we have some behind the scenes about this before we experience it? Yeah. So the tarantula initially was supposed to be a fake tarantula that was going to be put on Daniel Stern's face for him to deliver the terrified scream. As you would scream and as you should for a live tarantula. They get to the day of shooting and Daniel Stern goes, Hey, uh, so where's the fake tarantula? And Chris Columbus says, Well, it didn't look right, didn't look real enough, and it's gonna be a close up when you scream, so we gotta use the real one. And he his response was, Well, did you take the stinger out? Because when I scream, it'll sting me and I don't want to die. And he says, well, if we take the stinger out, the tarantula will die. So he was shocked to find that they were more concerned about the life of the tarantula (laughs) than him. So when the tarantula is put on Daniel Stern's face, the scream that he delivers is the real scream. Of having a tarantula put on your face. The buildup of John Williams to this. So Kevin is trying to get away. Yes. And while Daniel Stern has him by the literal ankle. And he's on the floor on the ground. And Kevin picks up the spider. Puts it on his face. And... Oh my I don't think there's a, a more real reaction. Oh because he said he was so terrified because he gets one take and one take only because if he gets stung in the face right. he has to go to the emergency room. <laughs> which he then flings the tarantula off oh. and flings it on to Harry's stomach. Which was not part of the initial <laughs> t- <laughs> That is where the that is where the spider ended up landing, and so they said, "Just go with it." Oh, jeez! Which then the reaction is, of course, when you see an insect or a spider, you want to kill it. Meanwhile, Kevin is making <laughs> his escape through the third story through the attic from the rope that he had set up earlier bicycle handlebars and he's going to zip, zip line, line. <laughs> <laughs> so this entire time joe pesci when he did a total backflip and landed from the tripwire he was knocked unconscious and so he comes to to a tarantula on his stomach, which he is not even aware of. And Marv is over is over him, clutching a crowbar with, with crazy eyes. <laughs> and he's just like, what, what, Marv, what, what are, are we doing? doing? Marv? <laughs> just, I'm about to be murdered by my best friend and partner in crime. <laughs> like, but... But the reassurance of, don't move. 
Which, when your best friend tells you to not move, you're like, okay. Like, don't look now or don't move. There's something behind you and you trust. And he's like, why? are trying to figure out (laughs) (laughs) they're trying to figure out they see the open window and Harry goes where'd he go and Marv says maybe he committed suicide (laughs) oh god so now they're they're gonna proceed to go across the rope are you scared Marv are you afraid to go across the window He's afraid of heights. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's high. I mean, it's, they're out, well, the attic windows, it's like 30 well, feet. And the upper body strength that you would need to make it across. Well, the fa- his hands burn and he's got no shoes on. <laughs> no. And oh. he's got the lawn shears and he, per- Kevin proceeds to taunt them and they can't go back. They're about halfway. Oh. And Kevin cuts the rope, which they're just high enough oh. to swing back Tarzan style, oh. face first into the brick wall. Kevin now escapes. Yeah, he's booking it next door. Past them, from the treehouse, through the driveway, and across the street. He taunts, Kevin taunts them again as he's running into the house that so he's going to call the cops. Which he already has. He goes in through the basement. Storm cellar. Okay, so Not now realizing that the, it's the house they've already hit, the wet bandits. And it's flooded. Fl- the house is flooded. Which, by the way, again, as we mentioned before, all of the houses are sets. The interiors. The interiors. And this house, the Murphy's house that is now flooded, it was actually built in the high school pool. Oh, and the wet bandits are already in the house. Hiya, pal. And Kevin is shocked. They hook him onto a door by his little sweater. <laughs> so they proceed to decide what they're going to do to him. And they go through all the things that Kevin did to them. And now we see the, the signature boots, boots of Marley. Of Marley. With, hand, with shovel in hand. Let me tell you this. There's a behind the scenes uh, with Macaulay Cul- adult Macaulay Culkin and where Joe Pesci says, I'm going to bite these fingers off one at a time. During one of the takes, Joe Pesci got a little too aggressive and actually did bite Macaulay Cul- <laughs> Culkin's finger and he still has teeth impressions on his finger. He has a little finger. scar from his home alone. <laughs> oh. And now Murphy proceeds to beat 
and bash over the head. The two bandits. With his shovel. And he says, come on, let's get you home. And he's like, wow! With the sink still running. Here come the police. Which we cut to the police swarm the house. And we cut to across the street. Yes, the neighbor's house. Which is where uh, Kevin told the police to go. We cut to across the street to Kevin's house and Kevin is watching everything from the window, which means that Marley took him back to his house, took him back to his own house and just left him there and didn't tell the cops. No, he didn't say anything. They just let, well, Marley and Kevin leave the unconscious wet bandits in the, the Murphy house. And so then when the police show up and they arrest the wet bandits. The police officers then go, I'm so glad we found out that it's you. And with your signature leaving the faucets running, we know every Every single single house house that that you've hit. hit. Which is what uh, they were alluding to earlier of like, you left it on again. I told you not to do that. It's stupid. It's our calling card. Yeah. So they're being put into the car they're being put into the car and marv is spelling out their remember with the wet bandits wet bandits and he starts spelling it because he assumes they're going to be in the paper and he wants them to spell it correctly which they do in <clears throat> home alone too as well as the sticky bandits oh gosh and that's a whole nother story oh okay and so this part right here is where we are potentially setting up a rematch in a sequel where Harry, a.k.a. Joe Pesci, is in the back of the squad car with Marv. But Joe Pesci, looking beat to heck, looks over his shoulder and sees Kevin in the window. And Kevin gives a taunting wave. And Joe Pesci sees it. And it's going to be burned in his memory. Just Well, I was going to say burned into his brain, just like the M. McAllister <sighs> into his hand. Yes. Which, wouldn't you think the cops would go around knocking on doors to ask for witnesses? And then also, the fact that where's Murphy that called the cops? Murphy didn't call the cops. Kevin called the cops. I know. So wouldn't, the fact that the Murphys aren't home, there's no one to interview who called. And then if you do star 69 to figure out where the call came from, it's going to be the his house. So... I guess because it's Christmas Eve, they're going to let well enough alone. No, that's just... Okay, so all all is well. And so Kevin is putting out milk and cookies for Santa and carrots for the reindeer. And then he is also... He's wrapped all the Christmas gifts for his family Mm -hmm. and put it under the tree. Back to the U-Haul. So this, this dialogue is totally and completely improvised. Where Catherine O'Hara... Is has allowed herself to go in full depression mode about how she's a horrible, horrible parent. Horrible parent, and John Candy, being the bright light that he is, he's trying to reassure her. This woman who he doesn't know and will never see again in his life, he's trying to help her out. He's so sweet, and he's trying to convince her that she's not a terrible parent and that children are resilient in nature. So he goes around. Uh, The rest of his crew is asleep and he points them all out and tells how each one of them are terrible, are all parents 
and they're terrible parents. So you are nothing in comparison. Take me for an example. He tells this story about how he left his child accidentally in a funeral parlor. With the body. With the body. All day. And and then just slightly just slides in the fact that he didn't talk. For a couple years, but now he's kind of coming out. <laughs> and how Catherine O'Hara keeps a straight face and doesn't start laughing. She's She's a pro. Okay, it's Christmas morning. Kevin has new pajamas. You know what else? we didn't talk about but i love is that this entire time that he's been alone he slept in his parents bed he never went back to his own room and slept in his own bed he slept in the master bedroom the entire which time which of course why wouldn't you which of course you would he wakes up christmas morning <clears throat> and it's snowing and he's hoping that his family and his mom's going to be there and and they're not there. They're not there. Okay, so what's interesting to know is that this part where this Christmas morning with the exteriors with the snow, this snow is real snow. It is all real. Um, they were con the production team was concerned because uh, uh, leading up to day one of filming, um, there was no snow. There was no snow. And literally overnight, it started raining and it turned to snow. And everyone in the production team early in the morning got their pagers and beepers at this time just started going off. And they're like, this is a, you know, a level one. We are go. We are go, people. Grab all your stuff, everything you we are shooting this right now. So the ending scene, Christmas morning at the house with the snow. Exteriors. Is the actual first shot that they filmed in February. Okay, U-Haul pulls up and mom goes inside. She sees that everything is decorated in the house. Kevin comes running down the stairs and they see each other for the first time. And she says, Merry Christmas. It's a Christmas miracle. He asks, where's the rest of the family? She said, oh, they wanted to come, but there was no way that they could fly. Open the door and the whole family's there. Of course, Buzz is the first one through the door. The and they're all arguing. What's great is it's his, their immediate family. Frank and the gang stay in Paris. <laughs> and of course, Buzz says, it's pretty cool you didn't burn the place down. That's a huge step. For Buzz. You gotta give it up for him. And how did you get home so fast? Oh, we took the morning flight. You know, the one that you didn't want to wait for. Yeah. <clears throat> and they've got food in the house because he went shopping. What a what a funny kid. What, what else, else did you, you do, do while, while we, we were, were away? away? Oh, you know, just hung around. And then as soon as they leave, they disperse and leave him alone in the landing. Well, because they're hungry. Because he just got home from the airport. They just flew all night. Kevin is drawn. To the window. To the window where snow is still falling. <laughs> John Hurd finds Joe Pesci's gold tooth on the ground. Goes to the window. And he sees Marley, his granddaughter, his son, and her wife. 
hugging and embracing and going inside his home, which is so great. And then the <laughs> moment is ruined by Buzz screaming from the upstairs, Kevin, what did you do to my room? And Kevin's like, oh no, and shocks and ran away. And fade to black. And that's it, guys. That's Home Alone. It is a timeless movie. There's the competition that people try and talk about. Is Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2 better? Which one is better? They're totally different different flavors. Yeah. It's amazing. It never gets old. It's hilarious. The stunts are insane. Heather has to look away. Oh, yeah. And again, I am not exaggerating when I say I've probably seen Home Alone a hundred times or more. And I will watch it again and again and again. And it is the 30th anniversary of Home Alone. I'm so happy that it got made. I'm so happy that 20th Century Fox picked it up when Warner Brothers dropped it. That John Hughes, you know, wrote such an amazing script. And uh, Chris Columbus. Columbus did such an amazing job being such a lover of Christmas, knowing how to work with kids, oh, knowing yeah. and, how to get the best watch, out of them. And when you watch the behind the scenes of Chris Columbus on the set with the kids, he's so genuine and he knows how to talk to them. And as the grown-up kids talk about working on that, they say... He never treated us like kids in the sense of talking down. He always related to them. He obviously, Chris Columbus went on to uh, work uh, with the Harry Potter movies. Um, and when the, you know, one of the first films for Harry Potter, when they're really little. And so you can see how, um, how good he is at that, because of course the Harry Potter films are incredible. Um, so, um, you know, it's just a dynamic duo of writing and directing and every single actor in this film is five stars. They do so well. And I know during the film, we're bagging on the character of uncle Frank. We wouldn't feel that way unless the actor playing uncle Frank didn't do his job. He's amazing. He gives you he gives you everything you need to know about that character. Yes. And it makes sense of why, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, why it was such a Christmas juggernaut. Cause kids loved it, the parents loved it, and you went back and saw it multiple times. And the fact that they were thinking that opening the film based on the reviews from Siskel and Ebert, that it wasn't going to do well. No, they didn't like it at all. It ends up being the third highest grossing film of all time behind Star Wars and E.T. making almost $300 million and staying number one for 14 weeks. And it is just insane. And again, I think that it has something for everyone. It gives you all the feels. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Mm-hmm. And it makes you want to watch the movie over and over and over and over again. And it is the 30th anniversary. I'm so happy that this film was made. I own it. I will stream it. 
I will watch it on TV and it is probably the film that I look forward to watching the most during the holidays and give you all the little fun facts behind it. Yeah, I'm yeah. So, I, I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And this has been I'm Not Complaining. I'm just asking for you to watch Home Alone this holiday season and watch Kevin McAllister protect his house. And take on the wet bandits. <laughs>